You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. These days, work is in trouble. We've outsourced most of our manufacturing to other countries. And with that, we sent away good jobs and our capability to make things. American Giant is a clothing company that's pushing back against this tide. They make all kinds of high-quality clothing and activewear, like sweatshirts, jeans, dresses, jackets, and so much more, right here in the USA. So when you buy American Giant, you create jobs in towns and cities across the country. And jobs bring pride, purpose. They stitch people together. If all that sounds good to you, visit American-Giant.com and get 20% off your first order when you use code STAPLE20 at checkout. That's 20% off your first order at American-Giant.com with promo code STAPLE20. Hello, and welcome to the Explorers Podcast. Today we are going to wrap up our series on pioneering Norwegian explorer Fridjof Nansen. A few notes about today's episode and the series. First, Nansen's career as an explorer will be limited going forward. He will flirt with the idea of an Antarctic expedition, but any adventures will mostly be scientific in nature. He will, however, remain a mentor and guiding figure in the world of polar exploration for another 15 years. Second, in today's episode, we are going to cover the rest of Nansen's life, which is really pretty extraordinary, but I want to stress that this will be at a very high level. Nansen was a talented and complex man. His life was fascinating and frustrating as well. His public achievements are many, but they were not without controversy at times, and his personal life was tumultuous. I will touch on these things in this episode. With all of that in mind, I'd very much recommend reading a biography on the man. Roland Huntford's book on our Norwegian explorer, titled Nansen, the Explorer as Hero, is the acknowledged gold standard biography of the guy, at least in English. It is exhaustive and well done, and I very much recommend it. The third thing I'll mention is the length of the Nansen series, seven episodes. Nansen led just two expeditions in his life, so it might seem like we've gone a bit slow with things, and the reason for this is the outstanding source material. Nansen wrote detailed books on his journeys, and they are very reliable. Add in material from his peers, and it means we really end up with a lot of details. This seems to be the case with more recent explorations, especially when our subjects don't vanish on their journeys. Anyhow, I love getting into all the minutiae of these expeditions, just not too much. Again, if you want to really nerd out, read Huntford's biography or Nansen's own books on his expeditions. No matter, that is it. Let us talk about the rest of the episode. Today we're going to touch on several major areas of Nansen's life. This includes the following. His personal life, which includes his relationship with his wife and children, his accomplishments as a scientist, his importance to the world of polar exploration, his role as a diplomat, and finally his role as a humanitarian, which will lead him to be awarded the Nobel Peace Prize. So let us start with the return of Nansen to Norway in 1896. The Fram expedition had left Nansen as the most important and respected man in the world of polar exploration. The voyage had been daring and innovative and successful, even if he hadn't reached the North Pole. Nansen's unique approach to the expedition, a small party of experts using skis, sledges, dogs, and custom gear, and the revolutionary design of the Fram, had caught the eye of explorers everywhere. And you know what else? All of his men had come home alive. That was a rare thing. As for Nansen, he would beg off any questions about returning to the Arctic, or his own expedition to Antarctica, saying he was done with such endeavors. Instead, he would focus on exploiting the story of the Fram expedition. This meant a book, newspaper stories, and lectures. 
7,000 people turned out at Albert Hall in London to hear him speak, 5,000 in Paris, thousands more in Berlin and other European cities. In the UK alone, Nansen did 41 lectures in 42 days. A tour of the United States would net him $14,000, a small fortune when you consider the average American made less than $1,000 annually at this time. All of it would make the man some serious money. He even bought himself a yacht, a sign of his growing wealth. Nansen now had fame, fortune, and respect throughout the world, and his acclaim brought recognition of the cultural and scientific work being done in Norway. In 1897, Nansen was awarded a professorship in zoology at the Royal Frederick University in Christiania, and while the title said zoology, his focus would move to oceanography and would pretty much remain there for the rest of his life. The position would allow Nansen to begin compiling all the scientific research from the Fram expedition. The end result would be published in 1901 in a six-volume series. It was detailed and pioneering work in the field and well-regarded by the scientific community. Now, despite all of this, I want to add that Nansen would be described by people who knew him as moodier and touchier than before the Fromm expedition. Nansen was already a moody person, but his return from the Arctic only seems to have deepened those bouts of melancholy. We've seen this kind of thing before, with men like Shackleton. They think success and recognition will make them happy, yet they often find themselves never truly fulfilled. The end of the expedition creates a void in their lives, and they end up looking for the next conquest or achievement. Luckily for Nansen, he had more than exploration. He had science to fill his life, although he will never lose his itch to explore. In 1900, Nansen became the director of the International Laboratory for North Sea Research and helped found the International Council for the Exploration of the Sea, which is the world's oldest intergovernmental science organization. That same year, Nansen returned to Arctic waters for the first time since the Fram expedition when he journeyed to Iceland and Svalbard to conduct oceanographic research. By the way, in April of 1900, Nansen's farthest north record would be broken by an expedition led by Italian mountaineer and explorer Luigi Amadeo, more commonly known as the Duke of Abruzzo. The Duke bested Nansen's farthest north by just 20 miles. When word reached Nansen of the new record, he was philosophical about handing over the crown, saying, quote, What is the value of having goals for their own sake? They all vanish. It is merely a question of time. End quote. But let's not fool ourselves. Each time something like this happened, it stung Nansen. His star shined just a bit less, and he lamented missed opportunities. By the way, Abruzzo had consulted with Nansen before undertaking his expedition, as had other explorers. Robert Falcon Scott had done so before his 1901 Discovery Expedition, and Ernest Shackleton had visited Nansen before his 1907 Nimrod Expedition. And Roald Amundsen had come to Nansen to drum up support for his proposed expedition, to sail the length of the Northwest Passage, which had never been done. Nansen liked Amundsen and had lent his fellow countrymen money and connected him to other investors. Amundsen would complete the passage in 1906. Nansen would be thrilled for Amundsen, but it was, again, another man chipping away at Nansen's seat as the world's preeminent polar explorer. Regarding Scott and Shackleton, Nansen was dumbfounded by their unwillingness to use dogs and skis. He felt that the South Pole could easily be obtained if someone only brought along some good skiers and properly trained dogs. As a side note, the British had a disdain for using dogs. They felt it wasn't sporting. And while both Shackleton and Scott would bring some on their expeditions, they never brought with them the required experts to exploit them effectively. It was sheer arrogance that these guys thought they could bring along dogs and skis and think they could master them in a few days. And when they, as you can imagine, couldn't, they dismissed them as inefficient or not worth their time. Side note done. Which leads us to another side note. Adrien de Gerlache, who was the leader of the 1897 Belgica expedition to Antarctica, 
had come to Nansen for advice before undertaking his expedition, which is considered the first of the heroic age of Antarctic exploration. I mention it because the ship's cat was named Nansen after our Norwegian explorer. The cat would die on the voyage and be buried in Antarctica. Second side note done. Now, regarding Nansen heading back out on his own expedition, he considered it more than once. Nansen had promised Eva that he was done with such things, and he would, in the end, keep that promise, but not without some temptation. For Nansen, he toyed with the idea of conducting an Antarctic expedition. He felt that as Antarctica was a continent and not an ever-shifting pack of ice like the North Pole, it would be easy to attain. When Shackleton met with Nansen before his expedition, he said he could see the restlessness in the Norwegian. It was as if Nansen, now in his mid-forties, was touring with one more grand adventure. But Nansen never got beyond the planning stages. He would approach Colin Archer, the man who had designed and built the Fram, about making a pair of new vessels for such an enterprise, but nothing would ever get off the ground. By the way, one of the things about Nansen, in contrast to many other explorers, such as Scott, Amundsen, and Shackleton, was that his world was not tied to his life as an explorer. For these other men, exploring was what they did. It was all they would ever do. They were explorers, not much else. That meant they had to head into the breach one more time, over and over, in order to find fulfillment in their lives. But not Nansen. He had other things he was passionate about, things to fire his imagination. And one of those things was Norwegian nationalism. Nansen, by and large, disdained politics. But he had always been very much a proponent of an independent Norway. He had cast the Fram expedition as an accomplishment of Norway and he was seen as one of Norway's most prominent figures. And thus, as the 20th century dawned, Nansen would be a leading voice for Norwegian independence. Now, I am not going to go into the details of the breakup of the Swedish-Norwegian Union, only that the independence movement would grow at this time. In many eyes, the only question was when it would happen and how it would happen. Politicians would try to get Nansen involved in the process, but he refused outright political jobs. The more Nansen got involved in politics, the less he liked it. He had little patience for the games of politics. He especially disliked politicians, saying, quote, One acquires more distaste for the breed the more one has to do with them. End quote. As a note, Norwegian independence was a concern for much of Europe. Since the formation of Belgium in 1830, no new nation had been created in Europe. If Norwegian got independence, who would be next? Finland would love to be divorced from the Russian Empire, and much of Ireland from Great Britain. And what of the multi-ethnic entities such as the Austro-Hungarian Empire or Russia? European monarchies shivered at the idea of their empires being broken up. Another issue was republicanism. Most of Europe's nations were monarchies. The last thing they wanted were calls for things such as self-determination, republics, and the rule of the people. Anyhow, Nansen would lend his support and voice to the cause of a free Norway. He would write a series of articles supporting independence, which captured the mood of the people and energized supporters of a free Norway. Many people called for Nansen to take the lead in these efforts. Nansen, however, would stay away from running for public office, even turning down a cabinet position with the current government. He would, however, accept the role of private emissary, working in Germany and then London, to secure international support for Norwegian independence. Nansen, by the way, was very comfortable in England. He spoke the language well, and he admired the English way of life. To call him an Anglophile would not be inaccurate. Anyhow, a referendum was ultimately held in Norway in August of 1905, the overwhelming majority of the population voting for independence. A second referendum would determine that the newly independent Norway would have a monarchy rather than a republic. This was a compromise for men like Nansen, who favored a republic. But the nations of Europe would be more likely to agree to a free Norway if there was a king as the head of state. 
The new king would be Prince Charles of Denmark. Charles was married to the British Princess Maud, daughter of England's King Edward VII, and he was related to the Russian and German royal families. Charles, however, only reluctantly accepted the Norwegian throne. He was concerned that he and his wife would not be welcomed, or worse, the populace would toss him out the first chance they would get and form a republic. To convince Charles to go through with the coronation, Nansen was sent by the Norwegian government to Copenhagen to try and help assuage the concerns of Charles. Nansen would turn on the charm and convince Charles that he and his wife would truly be welcomed in Norway. Charles and Maud took a liking to Nansen, and with his encouragement, they would make the final leap and accept the throne. And thus Charles, taking the name of Haakon VII, along with Maud, would become the king and queen of Norway in June of 1906. By the way, Haakon would reign for 52 years. He would be a key leader in holding together a young and fragile nation in these early years, and then be an unwavering champion of freedom during World War II, establishing a government in exile during the Nazi occupation. The current king of Norway, Harald V, is the grandson of Haakon. Nansen would remain close with the royal family for the rest of his life. In the wake of Norway's rise to independence, Nansen would be named the nation's first minister to London in 1906. These times were crucial, as Norway needed recognition from the various powers to secure her status as a free country. Nansen did well in London. He was comfortable there and admired the English people. The admiration was returned. People liked Nansen's honest and simple manner, and they found him a breath of fresh air, albeit a little naive. Nansen, due to his growing friendship with King Haakon and Queen Maud, became a regular guest with the members of the royal family, even hanging out at the country estate of King Edward. However, no matter how well Nansen was doing as a diplomat, he was not happy with the job. It was, after all, politics. And he would finally resign his position in November of 1907. Now, at this point, I want to back up a bit and talk about Nansen's personal life, because big things are on the horizon. As I have said, Nansen and his wife, Ava, had a troubled marriage. Both were insecure and filled with mistrust. From the moment he got back from the Fram expedition, rumors and whispers followed the two. Nansen was known to have had many affairs in his life, and his constant travels put a strain on their relationship. The other thing that hung over their heads was the possibility of Nansen's heading off on another grand adventure in the Arctic or Antarctic. And while Nansen said this wasn't going to happen, Ava dreaded any such expedition taking shape. Despite all of this, the two went on to have five children, three sons and two daughters. One of the boys, Osman, was born with severe mental disabilities and would die at the age of 10. In 1901, Nansen and Ava would move into a grand home outside of Christiania named Polhagda, which means Polar Heights in English. Nansen designed much of the estate himself. It would be his home for the rest of his life. Nansen would be, for the most part, financially secure, but some bad investments would strap him for cash at times. Plus, he would end up supporting some of his family members and spend his own money on scientific projects. I want to note that Nansen's relationship with his children would often be fractured, not unlike his relationship with his own parents. Nansen proved to be no better of a father than a leader of men. He was moody and unpredictable, and overbearing and rigid and stern. He believed children should be toughened up to face the realities of the world. He often wouldn't allow the home to be heated, even in the winter, and he would serve the children gruel twice per day. And when I say gruel, I mean gruel. That's a crappy watered-down version of porridge and showing signs of affection to the children was not allowed. Like I said, Nansen thought he needed his children to grow up like Spartans. It didn't help that Nansen and his wife would often host elaborate balls and dinners at their home, a stark contrast to the strict and plain lifestyle he insisted his children maintain. When all was said and done, Nansen's children ended up not liking him very much. 
Most of them got the heck out of the house the first chance they got, happy to be free of their father's despotic rule. Otherwise, in addition to the new home outside of Christiania, Nansen would buy a cabin on a mountain in the wilderness. He had a piano hauled up to the cabin for Ava. It was there that the two had some of their happiest times. They were away from prying eyes, newspapers, and gossip. Nansen could ski and hunt to his heart's content. This gets us back to late 1907. Nansen had just handed in his resignation as Norway's minister to Great Britain, but was hanging around before returning home. It was then that he received a telegram that his wife was ill. Nansen thought nothing much of it and put off leaving. However, in early December, another more urgent message arrived. Ava was seriously ill. He had to return home. Nansen would leave immediately, but before he got back to Norway, word reached him. Ava died on December 8th from pneumonia. She was 48 years old. Nansen was decimated by Ava's death. He lamented not coming home earlier and sank into a depression. Ava's body would be cremated, her ashes spread at a place only Nansen knew. The mountain retreat the couple loved would be cleared out and sold, Nansen never to return. The death of Ava would cast a gloom on Nansen's life, something that would, in some ways, never be overcome. It had been far from a perfect marriage, but her death seems to have rattled Nansen. He was seeing that life passes people by. They get older, and some depart far too early, and the years you thought you had with those people are suddenly gone in the blink of an eye. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles in a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you can make sure your ride stays running smoothly. Brake kits, LED lights, exhaust kits, turbochargers, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Here in America, work is in trouble. We've offshored our manufacturing, sent away good jobs, and lost so much ability to make things. American Giant is a company that's pushing back against this tide. They make high-quality clothing, sweatshirts, jeans, dresses, jackets, and so much more right here in the USA. Visit American-Giant.com and get 20% off your first order when you use code STAPLE20 at checkout. That's 20% off your first order at American-Giant.com. Promo code STAPLE20. The year was 1908. After the death of Ava, Nansen was done as a diplomat. To occupy his time, he turned to science and Antarctica. It is the latter of which I want to mention now. At this time, Nansen again contemplated another epic polar expedition, specifically a run at the South Pole. But he was torn about the idea. He was 47, no youngster, and he had a family without a mother. But every year, someone was doing something to make Nansen less and less relevant to the world of exploration. Ernest Shackleton had come within 100 miles of the South Pole in early 1909, and Robert Falcon Scott was plotting a new expedition to the region. And that takes us to Roald Amundsen, Nansen's fellow countryman. Nansen viewed Amundsen as a sort of protege, giving him advice and helping him raise funds. It was at this time that Amundsen came to Nansen and asked to use the Fram on an expedition to the Arctic, not unlike what Nansen had done more than a decade earlier. He would get frozen in the ice pack and drift across the Polar Sea plus get a chance to reach the North Pole. Nansen would waver at the request, but in the end, he would let Amundsen use the Fram. It would signal an end to Nansen's flirtations with the polar expedition. 
Fromm, by the way, was technically owned by the state, but due to Nansen's prestige, no one used the ship without his permission. Now, I do want to take a sidetrack and talk a bit about Amundsen. The man would put together his expedition, Nansen helping with funding and support. But then, American Robert Perry would claim to reach the North Pole in 1909, and Dr. Frederick Cook, also an American, said he had reached the Pole a year earlier. It was a mess, with Cook's claims ultimately dismissed, and Perry's claim was called into question in the next few years. But Amundsen didn't know this at the time, and only saw that his goal of the North Pole was already claimed. And thus, he would shift gears. Instead of the North Pole, he would go to the South Pole. Only he wouldn't tell anyone. He wouldn't reveal his intentions until Fromm was well out to sea. This was a controversial move, as Amundsen was now racing Robert Falcon Scott to see who was going to gain the pole first. Many thought the move unsportsmanlike and opportunistic. Amundsen, by the way, had not told Nansen about his plans, sending him a detailed letter explaining his decision upon departing. As I said, there was a lot of criticism of Amundsen's decision, and while Nansen was not entirely comfortable with what Amundsen had done, he fully supported him in the press. Amundsen would end up reaching the South Pole first, using Nansen's blueprint of dogs, sledges, and skis to win the prize. Scott would reach the pole about a month later, crushed to find the Norwegian flag already there. Scott and his team would die on the return journey. As for Amundsen, Nansen was proud of him for what he had accomplished, and he was proud of his old ship, the Fram, plus the fact that it was a Norwegian who had claimed the prize. He would even write the foreword to Amundsen's book. But in some ways, there was a fraying in relations between the two men. It was all cordial on the exterior, but Nansen felt a bit betrayed by Amundsen's decision. However, I would argue that Nansen was wounded, as now it was Amundsen who was the preeminent polar explorer in the world, not himself. That, no doubt, stung Nansen, an immensely proud man. And so, after Nansen's diplomatic work, plus his flirtation with another polar expedition, he would focus on science, not that he'd ever abandoned his scientific work. In 1909, Nansen would publish a paper with Bjorn Helen Hansen titled The Norwegian Sea, Its Physical Oceanography. It was based on the information gathered on his 1900 voyage to Iceland and Svalbard. Between 1910 and 1914, Nansen would be part of numerous oceanographic expeditions. This included research in the North Atlantic in 1910 and at Bear Island in Spitsbergen in 1912. By the way, at this time, Nansen would design and test new equipment. One item he developed was dubbed the Nansen bottle. This allowed a person to take deep water samples. Nansen would also produce, at the request of the Royal Geographical Society, a two-volume history of the explorations of the northern regions beginning in the 16th century. Some other adventures of Nansen included a return to the Kara Sea off the Siberian coast in 1913. There, Nansen investigated possible trade routes between Europe and the Siberian interior. Nansen would do some extensive travels in Siberia, documenting the life and culture of the Russian people in the region. Some personal notes regarding Nansen during these years. First, his son Osman would die in 1913 at the age of 10 after a long illness. Second, there were rumors that Nansen had a romance with Kathleen Scott, the widow of British explorer Robert Falcon Scott. Biographer Roland Hunford says Nansen begged her to marry him, but she turned him down. Others have dismissed this story, pointing out that Nansen had many relationships with women, some platonic, some romantic. If those rumors are true, we really don't know. The two were friends, so that is not in question, but we don't know if there was anything more. No matter, Nansen, even as he passed 50, continued to enjoy the company of women throughout Europe. With Kathleen Scott out of the picture, Nansen would ultimately marry again, this to longtime friend Sigrun Munth. 
The two had been in an intimate relationship even before Ava's death, and they would remain an item, on and off, until they married in 1919. The marriage brought some brightness to the Nansen home, but in time, the relationship would sour. Several of the children did not like Nansen's new wife, and she reportedly drove away old friends. In the end, the two ended up bringing out the worst in each other, and neither was happy. That aside, World War I would bring to a crawl scientific work and exploration. Norway would remain neutral during the war, but Nansen was, without question, against the Germans. In the war, Nansen would not do much. He tackled some projects, including trying to write a novel, which was never finished. And regarding the war, he was approached by a German agent about asking Norway to be a mediator in peace talks, but nothing ever came of the idea. The one thing the war did do was spur Nansen's interest in international politics. And so, when the League of Nations was proposed by American Woodrow Wilson, Nansen was interested. The League was, if you do not know, sort of the forerunner of today's United Nations. Nansen would start a chapter in Norway and become the chairman. The League, Nansen felt, would be critical to resolving the political mess that had resulted from the recent war. New nations were being formed as old ones were divided and borders redrawn. It was chaos. As a result, Nansen would work to help get Norway involved with the fledgling League of Nations. For Nansen, it wasn't just about preventing another great war, but also a way to deal with the humanitarian crises that resulted from the conflict. To that end, the League would ask Nansen to lead an effort to organize the repatriation of roughly half a million prisoners who were still stranded in various parts of the world. A primary focus was on Russia, where there were 300,000 men stranded throughout the empire. However, Russia was in the grips of a revolution and a civil war, and they didn't have the time, money, or resources to worry about these men. Through the efforts of Nansen's group and other organizations such as the Red Cross, 200,000 men in Russia were returned home by the end of 1920. Of it all, Nansen would say, quote, Never in my life have I been brought into touch with so formidable amount of suffering. End quote. The efforts of Nansen's office would conclude in 1922 with more than 425,000 men and women repatriated to 30 countries. And the conclusion of the prisoner repatriations would segue into another international humanitarian crisis, and that was a famine that engulfed Russia. Nansen would be tapped to head the League of Nations Relief Initiative, along with the Red Cross, to meet the crisis. The idea was to provide food and essentials to Russia and the Ukraine. These efforts would not be without criticism. Nansen was seen as being used by the Bolsheviks, which was true in many ways. And some believed his office was redundant with work already done by the Red Cross and the American Relief Administration. Nansen was often highly critical of the aid provided by various governments to his office, which was lacking. Instead, the efforts were often financed by private donations. Nansen despised the narrow-mindedness of the world leaders, and it made him dislike politics even more than he already did. In all of this, Nansen was seen as naive and easily manipulated by people on all sides. But in the end, he very much believed in the work he was doing, even if it didn't always pan out. There would be other humanitarian efforts by Nansen in the 1920s. He helped broker the resettlement of hundreds of thousands of Greek refugees back to their homeland, at the same time, half a million Turks in Greece were returned to Turkey. The swap had been controversial, but it was successfully implemented. Another major effort by Nansen was to try to help Armenian refugees, his goal to establish a homeland for these people as Russia had annexed their nation. The efforts would ultimately come to nothing, primarily due to a lack of funding. By the way, Nansen's top assistant on the project was Vitkon Kiesling. Kiesling would later be a Nazi collaborator and head the Norwegian puppet government during World War II. Now, one other thing I want to mention about Nansen 
was the creation of what would be called the Nansen Passport. The moment Nansen and his colleagues began to work with refugees and displaced peoples, they recognized that many of them lacked documentation that proved their identity or nationality, and without proper papers, a person often couldn't go anywhere. To combat this issue, Nansen's office devised an identity document for stateless persons called the Nansen Passport. It would ultimately be recognized by more than 50 governments and allowed refugees to travel legally across borders. The Nansen Passport, issued through the League of Nations office, would be used from 1922 through 1938. Millions would be issued. Some people who had Nansen passports included composer Igor Stravinsky, pianist Sergei Rachmaninoff, writer Vladimir Nabokov, ballerina Anna Pavlova, and Colonel Tom Parker, who would go on to be Elvis Presley's manager. For his humanitarian efforts, Nansen was awarded the Nobel Peace Prize in 1922. Not everything Nansen did was a big success, but the work he spearheaded affected millions of people during a chaotic time. And so, as Nansen's international work wrapped up, he would return to Norway and write several books and papers about his time in Russia and the Near East. Also, he would, again, dabble in politics in the late 1920s. Nansen feared the growing socialist and communist waves would consume Norway, and he would lend his voice and support to a right-wing anti-communist party founded in 1925. Some people even proposed Nansen had a new right-center coalition, but Nansen quickly quashed any such idea. Now, one last thing I want to mention about Nansen. In the mid-1920s, he would consider one final adventure to add to his portfolio, and that was the idea of flying to the North Pole in an airship. He poked around at the idea, but funding would not emerge. And then, in May of 1926, Roald Amundsen would fly over the North Pole in the airship Norge, the first person to ever do so. With that, any thoughts of such an excursion were done. Regarding Amundsen, the man would disappear in the Arctic in 1928 while organizing a rescue party for an airship that had crashed. Amundsen had been on a plane, out searching for the downed airship, when it disappeared. His body has never been found. Nansen would speak at the memorial of the man, saying, quote, he found an unknown grave under the clear sky of the icy world, with the whirring of wings of eternity through space. End quote. As the 1920s came to a close, Nansen would slow down, suffering from a variety of illnesses, some big, some small. There was a minor heart attack in 1928, and then a blood clot in his lung. He still enjoyed getting out into the wilderness, hiking and skiing, his love of the land never abating. Nansen died on May 13, 1930, the result of a heart attack. He was 68 years old. He was given a non-religious state funeral, his body cremated. The ashes were laid under a tree at his home. Amongst the pallbearers were Otto Svedrup, his second-in-command on both expeditions, as well as Olaf Dietrichsen from the Greenland Expedition. There were no speakers at Nansen's funeral, just music, Schubert's Death in the Maiden, which his wife, Eva, used to perform. And so that is the life of Norwegian explorer Fridjof Nansen. The man was a towering figure in his time, but was later surpassed by others in the eyes of the public. He never had the glorious accomplishments of Amundsen, or the memorable death like Scott, or the spectacular deeds like Shackleton. At the time of his death, and even today, he is revered in Norway. Nansen, even with his aristocratic manner, resonated with the people of Norway. He was an outdoorsman, a skier, an adventurer, and he was a professor and a scientist. To the young nation, he brought fame and pride and accomplishment. Regarding his legacy, I think we covered a lot of that in the other episodes. If anything, I think for us at the Explorers Podcast, he can best be described as a pioneer of polar travel. Hal Nansen crossed Greenland and the Antarctic ice pack with dogs and skis and sleds. It pretty much is how things are done today. That's quite amazing. 
The thing that is tough about Nansen is that he was, in some aspects, not very likable. He was stubborn and snotty and a jerk. He lacked the ability to connect with others, something so abundant in other men, such as Shackleton. But he was also generous and passionate, and brilliant. You can argue that he was more successful as a scientist, even more than that of an explorer. A few notes about the man. First, regarding his family, Nansen never had a great relationship with his children, and it was further strained by their dislike of Nansen's second wife, Sigrun Munth. Nansen's two daughters would head off to America for college, but eventually return to Norway and start their own families. Nansen would, as he aged, mend fences with his girls. Nansen's relationship with his eldest son, Kare, was extremely fraught. Nansen was reportedly very hard on the boy, who was often the focus of any physical punishment handed out by his father. Kare would leave home early and become involved in forestry, eventually moving to Canada. Nansen's youngest son, Odd, would move to New York in the late 1920s and become an architect. He would return to Norway and become involved in the resistance in World War II, even being captured and sent to a concentration camp. He would survive the experience, and after the war, he would be part of several humanitarian efforts, just like his father. He is credited with being the co-founder of UNICEF and worked to aid Jewish refugees in the early years of World War II. Odd's daughter was a book publisher and politician, and his son was an architect and humanitarian, just like his father and grandfather. Second note, Nansen is remembered in so many ways, it's impossible to name them all, but here's a few things. In 1930, the United Nations formed the Nansen International Office for Refugees, which was in charge of refugees for war areas from 1930 to 1939. The office received the Nobel Peace Prize for its work in 1938. Also, there are many places named after Nansen. This includes Mount Nansen in the Yukon. In the Antarctic, there's another Mount Nansen, plus Mount Fridjof Nansen, and Nansen Island. You'll find a Nansen Island in the Kara Sea, off Siberia, as well as in Franz Josef Land. In Greenland, there's Nansen Land. Nansen's home, Polhagda, is now home to the Fridjof Nansen Institute, an independent foundation that specializes in research involving environmental, energy, and resource management issues. Another item includes a biographical film made about Nansen in Norway in 1968. Also, the Royal Norwegian Navy launched five Fridjof Nansen-class frigates beginning in 2004. The Fridjof Nansen is the lead ship. And finally, there is a cruise ship named after Nansen that was launched in 2020. A few final comments and acknowledgments before we wrap up today. First, thanks to friend of the podcast, Pedro and his Norwegian friends, for helping with some of the Norwegian pronunciations. I appreciate the guidance. Second, as I mentioned earlier, I really recommend reading more about Nansen as he led a fascinating life. And finally, I'll finish by saying that this series was just really, really interesting. As I said, Nansen led a fascinating life, but at times he was not an easy man to like. Nansen wanted to be a great explorer, but his inability to relate to other people severely hampered such efforts but he was so important to this era of polar exploration. It is because of the earlier work that Nansen did that the Poles were ultimately conquered. And that, my friends, is a wrap on our series on Fridjof Nansen. I hope you've enjoyed things. Please take care, and I wish you the best of health. Thanks again for listening. The Explorers podcast is part of the Airwave Media Network. Go to airwavemedia.com for information on other great podcasts in the network, including historical blindness and history is everything. These days, work is in trouble. We've outsourced most of our manufacturing to other countries. And with that, we sent away good jobs and our capability to make things. American Giant is a clothing company that's pushing back against this tide. 
They make all kinds of high-quality clothing and activewear, like sweatshirts, jeans, dresses, jackets, and so much more, right here in the USA. So when you buy American Giant, you create jobs in towns and cities across the country. And jobs bring pride. Purpose. They stitch people together. If all that sounds good to you, visit American-Giant.com and get 20% off your first order when you use code STAPLE20 at checkout. That's 20% off your first order at American-Giant.com with promo code STAPLE20.